0: Hey, friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: The overwhelming research supporting a plant-based diet for adults for reduced chronic disease, for potential longevity benefits, suggests that this type of dietary pattern is the way to go starting earlier in life. We know that uh, food preferences and we know that disease risk starts early in life. So why wouldn't you start providing your child as soon as possible with nutrition that we know leads to health and longevity? And all governmental bodies in the U.S. U.S. and many worldwide advocate a plant-based diet for kids as safe, nutritionally adequate, and potentially beneficial. And it it tastes good. It tastes good.
0: That's dietitian Whitney English, and this is the Plant Proof Podcast. back to another episode. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope that you've been keeping well. For new listeners, I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode.
1: third of our children are overweight and obese. Type 2 diabetes, which is a a condition of lifestyle, we believe it's caused by dietary factors, lack of exercise, that is rapidly rising in children. Children as young as 10 years old are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I think one study put an estimate at the increase is about 5% per year. And we know that the earlier you get type 2 diabetes, the higher your risk of having diabetes-related complications and the lower your life expectancy. Plant-based children have been shown to have lower levels of cholesterol, so we know saturated fat, which is much higher in a in a omnivorous diet, is a risk factor for high cholesterol and cardiovascular disease. And we also know that cardiovascular disease starts in childhood. So there was one study actually of infants under 12 months of age, and these were autopsies of children, I believe, that died in car accidents. 30% of them had fatty streaks in their aortas. We're learning more and more, especially with like studies of the microbiome about just how early on nutrition can have an effect. I mean, there are studies in mice showing that depleted microbiomes in in mice are carried down through the generations, even when diet is improved, like the grandchildren of, of the mice will still have reduced microbiomes and it's crazy. And it just highlights the fact that nutrition is so important to begin, I mean, prior to conception. The most common nutrient deficiency for children and adults alike is iron deficiency. And rates are similar in adults for iron deficiency, whether they're omnivores or vegans and vegetarians. Vegans and vegetarians do typically have lower serum levels of iron, but they don't have higher rates. iron deficiency. So that just goes to show that it's a poorly planned diet. Even people eating meat are still having iron deficiency. It's still the most common problem. Folate, folic acid is incredibly important to prevent neural tube defects. This is really well-known information, which is why all women are recommended to be taking 400 micrograms of folate or folic acid even prior to conceiving. So Some bodies recommend that you start supplementing that about three months before you begin trying to get pregnant. Folate is actually very easy to obtain in the diet, especially for a plant-based diet. Uh, Vegans typically have the highest intake of folate. Vegetarians have moderate intake. And omnivores actually have the poorest folate intake. And that's because it's widespread in plants and predominantly in leafy greens. Folate is the natural form of folate. <laughs> and that's what's found in in plants. Folic acid is the synthetic nutrient. And recent studies have begun to show that certain people with genetic variations of a certain gene called MTHFR do not properly metabolize folic acid. And so for those people, it's better to take a methylated form of folate, which is more comparable to the folate that we find in plants, although it can be more expensive. So It's debatable. I think if you know you have that genetic abnormality, then you definitely should seek out a methylated form of folate. But just making sure you're getting folate somewhere in the diet, whether that be through supplementation. Really all women should just go get a physical before thinking about becoming pregnant and specifically have these things tested, have iron tested. Iron deficiency, even before conception, has been linked to low birth weight, which sets babies up for a host of issues, even if it's corrected later. Something's going on that's affecting probably the egg even prior to, prior to fertilization. The other thing you want to get tested is vitamin D. Specifically, if you're trying to get pregnant, suboptimal vitamin D levels have been linked with in- infertility. And vitamin D um, is typically low in a plant-based diet, mainly because the main source is our plant milk or, or seafood children should be getting about 30 to 40% of their nutrient intake from fat. And that's really hard to achieve on a strict plant-based diet if you're not including vegetable oils. My personal position for adult nutrition is that vegetable oils absolutely can be a part of a healthy diet when consumed in moderation. Sure, avocados, nuts, and seeds, we want to include those as much as possible. But as far as the research goes, I think it generally supports the idea that Vegetable oils are a nutritious component. So DHA is um, the omega-3 fatty acid. It's primarily found in seafood. Our bodies produce small amounts of it from alpha-linolenic acid, which is the omega-3 fatty acid found in plants. But that conversion rate is extremely low. Some studies estimate it's only about 1%. And DHA needs are incredibly ramped up in pregnancy, especially in the third trimester and then lasting throughout the first two years of life. And this is because DHA is an important component of the brain and the retina. So additionally, it's been shown to be beneficial for fertility. So we recommend DHA supplementation uh, starting even before you're pregnant. Another nutrient definitely to get tested for is B12. Hopefully all plant-based dieters are also supplementing with B12 already, There was actually a study that tested the B12 levels of vegans, vegetarians, and omnivores and found that many of them were deficient, including those who were taking prenatal vitamins with B12. Low B12 levels have been shown to be associated with infertility and also with abnormalities in sperm. So it's also important for dad to be adequately supplementing as well. I didn't mention a prenatal vitamin. That's, again, to cover your bases. It's definitely something that we recommend when you begin trying to get pregnant, but also it's completely essential once you are pregnant. Women need about 27 milligrams a day, which is a huge amount. I was in the the fitness and the entertainment field. I paid a lot of attention to nutrition, and yet I got iron deficiency. Like I was very focused on my diet. It wasn't only until I went plant based that I started actually thinking about where I was getting certain nutrients. So yeah, I think a lot of people that are on omnivore diets actually aren't eating a lot of iron. They're not worried about it because they think all animals have iron, and then. On the other side, people eating a plant-based diet, they may think they're getting iron because they're eating lots of nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, but they're not taking consideration of the reduced bioavailability of iron in a plant-based diet. And that's really important, especially, again, as we'll talk about with children, is that making sure that that iron you're eating is actually getting absorbed. So including sources of vitamin C in every meal to increase the absorption of iron, choosing sprouted or soaked grains and legumes to, again, increase the bioavailability of iron. It also helps increase the bioavailability of zinc as well. I, I had another dietician actually that reached out to me that had been trying to get pregnant for a long time and she's she was uh, predominantly plant-based and she had been getting a lot of pressure from family as well as her OBGYN telling her that maybe she just needed to start including me and then she would get pregnant. I reassured her that there was no evidence behind that recommendation and to stay strong, focus on these other aspects of fertility that are really important. She got pregnant and, you know, that's an anecdote, but but still like it's very common that women hear this it's really important that that men are eating a proper diet as well red meat intake processed meat intake and saturated fat have actually all been linked with decreased fertility for men only preformed dha so dietary dha actually reaches the fetus or reaches a breastfeeding infant. So studies have shown that increasing ALA, the plant-based sorts of omega-3 fatty acids in the diet does not increase the level of DHA that's going to reach your infant. And in fact, vegan mothers have been shown to have the lowest levels of DHA. So it's really important that you're getting that preformed DHA from a supplement. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Pregnancy Association both recommend about 200 to 300 milligrams per day but some emerging research has shown increased benefits, especially for preventing low birth weight or preterm birth with higher amounts, um, around 600 milligrams. So we typically recommend anywhere between 400 and 600. Choline is not considered an essential micronutrient, but it's a B vitamin-like nutrient. It's really important, again, for baby's brain development. And it is found in many different plant foods, but in a much lower amount than in some animal foods. So that's why it is often considered a nutrient of importance for plant-based dieters to focus on. And it's also been the subject of a lot of alarming reports in the media in recent years. The good news is that soy is a very rich source of choline. So My recommendation is basically if you're, if you're vegetarian to be including about two eggs a day, if you're not to be including at least two, two servings of soy foods a day, Um, and that during pregnancy, you should probably be supplementing with about half of the RDA of choline. And many prenatal vitamins do now include choline, but it's in pretty low amounts. So either paying very specific attention to the choline in your diet and including sources like soy at least a couple of times a day or supplementing. So consuming good sources of calcium throughout the diet, things like cruciferous vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, but also including fortified foods, because this is another area where I think we think we're getting adequate calcium intake. But really, if you sat there and did a daily log without fortified foods, it's a lot more challenging. And especially during pregnancy, again, when you're going to have these food aversions early on and may not be including cruciferous vegetables because calcium is not in not in a large amount in prenatals. The last thing I want to mention just is protein and extra calories. Protein needs are easily met. It's just important that pregnant plant-based women, all women understand that you need about 25 grams more protein per day, which is not a lot. So the RDA for pregnancy is, I believe, 71 grams. And that can easily be met by an extra one to two servings of beans or tofu or some other protein-rich food. So breast milk is the ideal first food for babies. It has the perfect composition of nutrients, immunological factors, bioactive compounds. It actually has bacteria, microbiota in there that are going to start to colonize the baby's digestive tract. As well as prebiotic sugars known as human milk oligosaccharides, which really have not been recreated. Breast milk, aside from just the unique components, it also changes throughout breastfeeding. So the composition of 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 the fat um, changes even within one feeding. It's lower in fat in the beginning of the feed and higher in fat in the end. There are numerous benefits associated with breastfeeding. First of all, for the mom, re- reduced risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. So we see a twenty six reduced risk of breast cancer in some studies, and a 37% reduced risk of ovarian cancer. For infants, we see a reduced risk of infections, primarily ear, nose, and throat. We see a reduced risk of obesity in children later in life. And again, this is something that. Experts don't know for sure what the reasoning is, but there are a couple of things that are proposed. One of them is that breastfed infants might have a better regulation of their intake, um, their hunger and satiety cues, not only because they actually are responsible for taking in their nourishment but also because they've seen different hormone changes in infants who are breastfed versus formula fed so breastfed infants typically have higher levels of leptin which is the satiety hormone where formula fed infants have had higher have higher levels of ghrelin which is the hunger hormone so, research also shows a reduced risk of certain childhood cancers, a reduced risk of sudden infant death syndrome, and potentially cognitive benefits from breastfeeding. Although there are confounding issues with the intelligence studies based on what a mother's intelligence is so it's it's hard to draw from conclusion about that all of these studies on the benefits of breastfeeding have actually shown that the benefits do persist even when it's not exclusive breastfeeding so any little bit of breastfeeding you can do whether that includes some supplementation with formula whether it's only for a few months that is going to be that's going to be better than than no breastfeeding at all So one of the good things about formula is that it actually contains all of the essential micronutrients that infants need. So if you're providing formula, you can be assured that your child is getting everything that they need. Aside from DHA, some formulas don't have it. Uh, This is less of a concern, though. In recent times, I believe all of the formulas in the U.S. actually do have DHA. So that would be the only, only thing to consider. For breastfeeding, however... While breast milk is the ideal, perfect food for babies, there is one nutrient that you need to watch out for specifically, and that's vitamin D. Breast milk is very low in vitamin D. And that's regardless of intake. So even though you're taking, you may be taking a postnatal vitamin with the RDA of vitamin D, it is not transferred over in an adequate amount for babies. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that all exclusively breastfed babies receive a supplement of 400 IUs of vitamin D starting at birth. And that's through dropper, yeah. So you can just put that on your finger and stick it in the infant's mouth or put it directly in their mouth. I will say there are some studies showing that very high amounts of vitamin D, around 6,400 IUs, if the mother supplements with that much, an adequate amount can be transferred in the breast milk. However, that exceeds the upper tolerable level for vitamin D for a lactating woman. So it just makes more sense, uh, we believe, to directly supplement your infant. Breast milk is also very low in iron. And again, this is an area of contention, especially in lactation communities, because we never want mothers to think that breast milk isn't optimal. It certainly is, but it is lower in iron. And that iron has a higher bioavailability, but it is not enough to meet infants' needs. Now, luckily, infants accumulate iron in utero. So they store up enough iron to last them until about four to six months, at which point they need to start getting iron in the diet. The reason I bring up iron is because While stores dwindle between four and six months, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other groups have recently started saying that solid introduction and the introduction of solid foods shouldn't actually begin until about six months. So that leaves infants, depending on how much iron they stored up in utero, with a period of about two months where they potentially have iron stores and, or low iron stores. And for that reason, the American Academy of Pediatrics now recommends that all exclusively breastfed infants receive a daily iron supplement from four to six months. And then the majority of the other nutrients will be transferred in the mother's breast milk, provided that she has a nutritionally adequate diet. So one nutrient I want to point out there, which I actually should have brought up earlier in pregnancy, is is B12. The absorption of B12 is very low. So you need much more than the RDA to actually meet your needs. So plant-based dieters should be taking in a minimum of 25 micrograms a day within their prenatal in order to make sure they have adequate amounts of it to transfer through the breast milk and transfer to the fetus during pregnancy. 12 months is the recommended amount by the American Academy of Pediatrics for breastfeeding. They recommend exclusive breastfeeding in six months and then continued breastfeeding to 12 months if you can. The World Health Organization, however, recommends breastfeeding up until two years. And the way they state it is, and longer if possible. There isn't a ton of research on extended breastfeeding, but the research on breastfeeding before 12 months shows that the longer, the better. So we would assume that the benefits persist. And historically, and in some tribal communities, people, women have breastfed even up to six years of age. The average age of weaning historically and globally is about two to three years. So the main decision you're going to have to make is whether you're going with a dairy Based formula or a soy-based formula. There are a couple, maybe one or two formulas on the market that are made with pea protein, but there really isn't any established guidelines on them yet. So the main choices are soy and dairy. The good news is that studies show similar rates of growth, energy intake, and bone mineralization with babies that are fed either cow's milk or soy milk. So whichever one you go with, your baby is going to get all of the nutrients they need and grow grow adequately. Then you can get into the intricacies of the different types of formulas, what types of sugars they use, what types of oils they use. And that is a conversation, I think, for another day. But generally, we recommend an organic formula and one with with minimal, minimal additives. Before 12 months of age, the only appropriate beverages for children are breast milk, or a formula. Never give plant milks before the age of 12 months. I do want to note that there are two indications in which soy formula would not be appropriate. One of those is for preterm infants. Despite a normal bone mineralization with healthy full-term infants consuming soy formula, Preterm infants have shown to have an increased risk of osteopenia. The second group is infants with congenital hypothyroidism who have to be on medication for this condition. Phytates, which are absorption inhibitors found in soy, which aren't a problem for adults or children eating normal diets and using techniques to overcome these absorption inhibitors. But for infants with congenital hypothyroidism, these phytates can inhibit the absorption of their medication. Baby-led weaning is essentially giving baby solid foods right from the start. So skipping puree, skipping spoon feeding, and providing age and texture appropriate foods that the baby can pick up and feed himself. And so both of those should start around six months. You should talk to your pediatrician about when is ideal for your baby. My partner and I, Alex, both did baby-led weaning with our sons and we, we recommend it for others. That said, we don't think it needs to be done exclusively. If you want to do a combination of spoon feeding and baby lead weaning, you absolutely can. There's no research showing that providing purees via spoon is going to get in the way of baby lead weaning. But one of the reasons that you may want to try baby weaning is some of the potential benefits. So the research is just emerging in this field. But some of the things that we're seeing is potentially increased motor skills uh, because the babies are actually using their hands and and their mouths to manipulate food in an earlier age. More adventurous eating, baby-led weaning babies are typically exposed to a greater variety of flavors and textures from the very beginning. Especially if you're using uh, store-bought purees, the diversity of them is not very great. It's often like one or two foods it results in a wider exposure. Breastfeeding and formula should still provide the majority of energy and nutrients up until about 12 months. So we want to make sure that we're using these feeding periods to expose them to a wide range of flavors and foods, predominantly fruits and vegetables, as those are the things that we're really going to want them to be eating lifelong and to develop an acceptability to. So exposing them early and often to a wide variety of of fruits and vegetables is really key. For baby led weaning, this looks like providing different vegetables that are steamed in a form that baby can pick up. So between about six and eight months, babies have what's called a Palmer grasp. And that means that they pick up things using their entire palm and hand. So Foods need to be in a long stick-like form. So they'll grab it with their palm and they'll gnaw on the end that's coming out of their fist. And anything else they they can't eat, they drop. The biggest nutrient to focus on during this period is really iron. And your major sources of iron in a plant-based diet are things like beans and whole grains and soy foods, nuts and seeds, so this is one of the main ways that a baby's plant-based diet and an adult's plant-based diet differs. For adults, you really want a high fiber intake. It reduces the risk of numerous chronic diseases and helps to manage healthy weight. But in babies, they have small appetites and they have tiny stomachs and a very dense diet and low calorie fiber rich plant foods could lead to suboptimal growth if they're not getting in enough, enough energy nutrients. So we recommend uh, under the age of two, for one, providing only half of the grains that they receive as whole grains and the other half, half as refined grains. So serving white rice on occasion. My son, for instance, gets a bread that's made with half whole grain flour and half refined wheat flour. And I know this kind of shocks some people who have constantly heard the message, complex carbs, whole grains. But in this population, it's really important. And those refined grains are providing essential energy. Under the age of two, babies' kidneys aren't fully developed and they're, they're not equipped to handle large amounts of sodium or really... Much sodium at all. The sodium limit and recommendations varies by country and is not well established. They don't even include it in the dietary guidelines. The message is pretty much the less sodium, the better. And the same really goes for sugar. The AAP recommends no sugar for children under the age of two. So anytime you buy processed food, it's going to have both of those in there. So it's not completely avoidable. Again, I told you my son gets gets bread every day, and it has a couple grams of sugar and. I let it slide. But generally, the more packaged foods you're providing, the more they're going to have those types of things in it that we want to avoid. So those are the main two things that I say to look for on a label. As low as possible with sugar and sodium. Low for sugar would be no more than one or two grams. And sodium really just as minimal as possible. The recommendation is, I think, I believe it's no sodium before 12 months. And then, and again, this differs depending on The group that set the recommendation, but between 12 months and two years old, I believe it's 800 milligrams, which is about a third of a teaspoon per day. So I talked about the Palmer grasp. So with the way that babies actually eat around eight to 10 months, they develop what's called a pincher grasp. So they can actually pick things up between their thumb and their forefinger, which will make providing family meals a lot easier. You don't actually have to manipulate them into a form that baby can pick up and more and more they'll start to to eat the foods the family is eating. Nutrition-wise, iron remains a very important nutrient as well as as protein. And and that doesn't change although iron needs actually do drop once babies turn 1 years old. So, I don't like to say that you don't have to pay as much attention, but you don't have to worry as much perhaps. If you, if you were supplementing your baby with say an iron fortified baby cereal between six and 12 months, you may not need to continue doing that after 12 months. And actually that's something I, I wanna talk about quickly. Baby cereals get a really bad rap. People say that they're highly processed and that they're unnecessary. And we find that they're, a very helpful component of the diet, especially for our plant-based babies and baby-led weaners. They're a concentrated source of iron. And there's many brands out there that are simply made with with oats that have basically been ground up and have some iron in there. So adding in iron through a, a baby cereal like that around six months is a really great easy, affordable way to meet iron needs. And that can be added to oatmeals. It can be added to those bean patties. After 12 months, if you're breastfeeding and you want to continue, you continue. And then parents have a decision whether to transition to cow's milk or plant-based milk. There's no need to continue with formula after 12 months of age. Um, The recommended amount is to be getting about 12 to 16 ounces of milk a day, again, because I said it is a condensed, uh, convenient source of nutrients. So again, you you potentially could have a diet where you don't provide either, but you'd be really hard-pressed to meet children's uh, calcium needs specifically. Protein, probably meet other places in the diet. Vitamin D, you could supplement, but really calcium, I think, is the main benefit of of either cow's milk or a plant-based milk alternative. That said, plant-based milk alternatives and cow's milk also provide protein and fat and energy and other nutrients that kids need. So if you're choosing between the two, when you're choosing a plant-based milk, for instance, you really wanna only choose soy or pea. If you provide something like almond milk, it's very low in protein, it's very low in fat, and it's very low in calories but it's got a large volume. The main thing that we're wanting to derive from this beverage is that protein, that fat, and then primarily the calcium. We recommend that past the age of 12 months, if you're no longer getting These nutrients from your mother's breast milk, or the child won't be getting it from formula anymore, that the child is then supplemented with vitamin D. They should receive their own B12 supplement and they should also receive an iodine supplement. And we recommend those supplements, even though vitamin D may be found in your plant milk. Maybe you do get the plant milk with B12 because fortification processes vary and intake varies from day to day. So the safest, most reliable option is to actually give them a supplement versus trying to get it from fortified foods. And then there's the potential to give them a DHA supplement as well. We know that DHA accumulation in the brain does continue through the first two years of age, but there aren't a lot of studies on normal healthy children in DHA supplementation. There have been some benefits shown in children with certain cognitive issues like ADHD. And in preterm infants, there have been beneficial results in supplementing DHA, but it's debatable whether whether there are extended benefits for normal, healthy children. There is no recommendation to provide it. We think it can't hurt. So fat is a critical nutrient for babies. It makes up 44% of breast milk. And this is one of the key differences, again, between proper adult nutrition and proper children's nutrition. Toddlers should be getting 30 to 40% of their calories from fat. And this is one of the things I think that really needs to be hammered home in the plant-based community, especially to those people who practice a low-fat, whole foods plant-based diet, is that kids need this fat and plants are naturally low. Most plants are naturally low in fat. So you need to be conscious and figuring out ways to get this worked in throughout the day, especially after 12 months when they're not getting as much fat from the formula or the breast milk. Again, which is another reason why I like we like people to continue offering some sort of milk or milk alternative. Fat is essential for energy. It's essential for brain growth, for the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. It provides structure to all the cells in the body, and it makes hormones to fight infection and disease. So just wide, widespread benefits. <laughs> so the progression is around six months, you start with about one meal a day, probably about nine months, you'll move up to providing two meals a day. And then by 12 months, you're providing three meals a day and possibly two snacks. That's that's the goal to get to with breast milk or formula intertwined. Um, Around 12 months, you can stop formula and kids can be provided with either cow's milk or a plant-based milk alternative. The overwhelming research supporting a plant-based diet for adults for reduced chronic disease, for potential longevity benefits, suggests that this type of dietary pattern is the way to go starting earlier in life. We know that uh, food preferences and we know that disease risk starts early in life. So why wouldn't you start providing your child as soon as possible with nutrition that we know leads to health and longevity? And all governmental bodies in the U.S. and many worldwide advocate a plant-based diet for kids as safe, nutritionally adequate, and potentially beneficial. And it tastes good. You know, there are certain populations that that maybe a strict plant-based diet doesn't work for. And there are children with allergies who can't consume soy. There's a lot of different issues that come into play. We advocate a predominantly plant-based approach. We're all inclusive. All forms of plant-based eating are beneficial for your health, for the health of the planet. We meet people where they're at. If you can't have a fully plant-based diet, if you don't want a fully plant-based diet, if your kid needs to consume things, then, you know, work around it. We're all doing our best.
0: (laughs) There we go. I hope you found that interesting, instructive, illuminating, and clarifying. Of course, if you did, please share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. Quick one before I let you go. I am often asked what supplements I take probably one of the most common questions that I get actually. So I finally got around and created an in-depth supplement guide, totally free, that you can download along with a bunch of other free guides at plantproof.com. Inside, it contains information about daily supplements for everyday wellness along with performance supplements. The daily supplement that I personally take is a multi-nutrient supplement called Essential 8 by NutriKind. This is a product I formulated for NutriKind alongside their team that specifically contains the eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall a little short in. Omega-3s from algae, B12, vitamin D3 from mushroom, iodine from seaweed, calcium, zinc, selenium, and iron the right forms in the right doses to complement your plant-rich diet. To find out more or subscribe to a monthly delivery, head to NutriKind.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-K-Y-N-D.com, and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off your purchase. So in summary, grab a copy of the supplement guide at plantproof.com, And if you are in the market for a daily multi-nutrient to cover your bases, head to NutriKind.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off. On that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for your ongoing interest in evidence-based nutrition. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days' time. Until then, remember... More plants, my friends, more plants.